0: to American Soccer Analysis. I am your host, Drew Olson. And on the other line, he won't be returning to the LA Galaxy in 2017. It's Sean Stefan. What's up, man? Hey, everyone. And on the other other line, <laughs> he's playing better for his work team than his podcast team, just like everyone else. It's Jared Young. What's up, man?
1: Hello, guys. We're back.
0: We're back and alive. How's it feel? This is our
2: second... Our, this is our re, re this is our resurrection
0: yeah well
2: <laughs> this is our second bold statement that we're not dead
0: <laughs> i'm i'm not sure i believe either one but here we are uh any uh any life updates that you need to fill the world in on Sean? uh
2: no i'm pretty good
0: have you had any good tacos lately
2: any good tacos lately no, just, you know, standard good L.A. tacos, you know. They're all good out here pretty I much. they're all
0: good, yeah. That's yeah. a good point. Uh, we just got a district taco, which is kind of a cool local chain in D.C. We just got one right by my office, which is really exciting. Um, and I'm sure Cosmo uh, will come check it out when they're in town next year. Jared, anything new in your world?
1: No, we are devoid of good tacos here in the Philadelphia area. Although surprisingly Wilmington Delaware has a bunch of decent taco places. You wouldn't think so, but it's huh. true. How did you learn that? Well, I, that's where I work.
0: Oh, okay.
2: Now, is there a podcast called Talking Tacos? Cuz there should be.
0: That's what this podcast is. You didn't nobody told you? <laughs> we're we're going to exchange recipes.
1: <laughs> no, we're going to be I thought we were talking Ticos. Oh, nice. Ooh.
0: They only sell their tacos four at a time, unfortunately. Uh, cool. Um, so, yeah, uh, I guess that's all, you know, the world ended. But if, if, I don't think anyone cares, but the reason uh, we've been on hiatus, I think, is because uh, everybody has other jobs, and like me specifically, my regular job is working campaigns, and uh, so that's where I've been. And Sean's been making tacos, and Jared's been, you know, perpetuating the global bank uh, overlords. Did I get that all right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. You want to talk about uh, USMNT?
2: I mean, sure. <sighs>
0: While we're here. <laughs> There's nothing else to talk about. Let's be real. Uh, okay. I'm just going to jump into it here. We got Mexico scored two goals. The USA scored one goal. Um, the USA was clearly in a 3-5-2 formation that urian klinsman vehemently uh denied and said it was a 3-4-3 which in my opinion was i don't know what game he was watching but that's not the one i saw um jared i'm gonna jump to you because you're the you're our tactician uh what were your thoughts on that formation and how it went out and did you see what Clinsman was thinking when he was adamant that it was a 3-4-3
1: no, I didn't see it. I, I couldn't see much of a structure to the way the team was playing. They were getting pulled out of position quite often. They seemed very unsure of where they were supposed to be. I also was very concerned about the, the back line, that the, the three there with, with Beasler, Gonzalez, and Brooks, because neither of them are really fleet of foot. And I was very concerned about the speed of Mexico getting behind that, that midfield and then... And then wreaking havoc on those three, which I think was kind of what was happening until uh, the miracle change in the 30th minute. But, it, it, you know, I think more than anything, it, it wasn't so much the formation, but the players really weren't confident. They were a step slow trying to figure out where they were exactly supposed to be you know, and who they were supposed to be closing down. And so I think what we saw was just a team that was very reactive and hesitant. And getting pulled out of position too easily because they weren't sure where they were supposed to be. So um, it was really hard to say what exactly they were playing because they they didn't really know themselves. I would disagree. I think
2: it very much was the formation. I mean, uh, I believe someone tweeted that uh, they heard um, the Mexican coach saying uh, within like five minutes of the game, yelling at the players. You know, to attack the left side, like immediately they keyed in on the Chandler Omar side. You know, like they want, they, they um, saw that immediately. It's the he, they figured it out instantly. That that was the, and that was where they found all their success. And then when you look at the difference between the first and second half, it's pretty striking. Um, you see, Paul Card tweeted that, um, first half Mexico had 4, uh, 0.44 expected goals on nine shots. USA 0. 0.07 expected goals on two shots. Second half, Mexico, 0.18 expected goals on three shots. Uh, USA, 0.92 expected goals on nine shots. So that's a huge swing in the momentum of play. Um, uh, we also had uh, four uh, key passes in zone 14. Uh, second half, zero, first half. I think the, the tactics of the game very much shifted. When the tactics shifted, it put players in positions to succeed. And... It pushed Mexico back and i think if had we seen that for two halves it would've been a completely different game there's not much evidence to show that mexico could ha- would have been as successful as they were in the first half against the 442 because they weren't
1: oh i i didn't mean to say that they weren't playing in a 352 i was just i was implying that they were so uncomfortable in it that it was very disjointed at times you really couldn't even tell what they were playing oh okay um, I'm sorry. I, I and you're you're absolutely right, moving to the four four two, I just think more than anything it allowed them to be free to be more aggressive they 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 knew their roles more. It was very clear. it was a comfortable formation, and now they could go be proactive and be aggressive. I think that that just made all the difference was that they weren't thinking any longer about where they were supposed to be Well that was easy. Now I can go play soccer, and it just
2: the formation just I don't see how it's even supposed to work because. It really relies on Pulisic being a 10, which he's not. Like, he's, you know. And Klinsman
0: apparently uh, seems to have been insisting that he was playing center forward, or I, it's unclear, like how. Yeah, I don't. How do you even think of that as a 3-4-3? Three, because
2: three? every single time they got forward, it was clear that it was three guys attacking, and then, uh, you'll have late arriving wingbacks. And then how mm-hmm. that inevitably ended up was, um, a bunch of, you know, hopeful crosses from the wingbacks, because you there'd be a surge up the middle, three guys would converge, and then, okay, I'll play it off to Johnson, I'll play it off to Chandler, and then, you know, they, they'd send a cross in, like, there was no, like, going back to zone 14, there was no interaction there, it was completely, you know, devoid, and it just, I mean, it doesn't make sense, and I can... You know, I can't I can't forgive someone like if you, if your job is to understand the player pool and you look at Politic for all the things he can do it's quite a jump to think that he can be a 10 because the difference between a 10 and a dynamic wing are very you know worlds apart and it's just it's crazy how much he continues to not understand his own players and that's his job
0: yeah uh, Jared what do you think of I mean Even besides the fact that this was a complete failure, I think, in most people's opinion, this is also something, like a new system that's being trotted out in the first game of the Hex against our biggest rival, Uh, and we haven't played any sort of format. We haven't played a three-man back line for like a couple years, I think, against Chile, right? Um, What's the... So I'm going to ask you to do something crazy here, Jared. What's going through Klinsman's mind that he thinks that that's a good idea to, like, spring this new entire mindset on on these players that clearly, I mean, really haven't been, nothing's been working with them, so maybe that's why. But any thoughts on why this is the time to make this change?
1: I I really can't come up with a good argument. I know I'm the resident Klinsman apologist, but in this case, I was as baffled as you were Um it's really difficult to think through what he was trying to accomplish uh, obviously he wants Chandler forward uh, he loves Chandler he loves him going forward so he, maybe this is a way to to push him up there Obviously he wanted to control the midfield and he thought Bradley and Jones could could handle their assignments but I think th- they just didn't practice it enough and and, and playing against the second. Playing against the second unit, you know, it might look good in practice, but entirely different playing against Mexico, obviously.
2: I actually think I do sort of understand, because I've noticed something, a pattern in how Klinsman approaches games that matter. When Klinsman, when it, whether it's a Gold Cup, um, the uh, well, not the Gold Cup final, but the, the final final where the Gold Cup winners played when he played Mexico, whether it's the World Cup, when he, when we go against teams that he, that, uh, he knows are better than us, he plays as defensively as possible. So, I think his intention was, like, uh, his old MO was, I'm going to play three defensive midfielders. Pretty much. Or, you know, uh, that's, it's kind of unfair to call Bradley and Jones and that's his defensive midfield, but three guys who are primarily going to sit back. Without Beckerman and all that, it's just, okay, well, what if I go to a five-man backline with two defensive midfielders? I think that was, every intention was to bunker and was to, to, uh, sit back and play on the counter. And it's, and it's one thing to understand that, look, that's always how we're going to play in Mexico is do it on the counter. But it's another thing to alter your tactics to a point that you're playing scared. Bruce Arena, Bob Bradley were able to do it in standard form, except for the time um, when Bruce Arena had to go to the back three in the World Cup. A bit of a fluke of game in my opinion. They were able to do it in the 4 4 so like, They were able to do it going man for man against the team. They just sat back more. They didn't need to add the extra defender. They didn't need to add these extra tweaks and I think that's what he was doing.
0: Yeah. I think, and And I think that's a reasonable guess and obviously if it had worked out you know if we'd sat deep and i mean it, it, it doesn't feel right that we would do that in columbus against mexico where we always won dosa zero but i guess you know we're not
2: but from an analytic standpoint you know wh- why would you invite that pressure because that's what you're doing when you play like it's when you play defensively and especially when you draw a man back to play with an extra man deeper like, this, you know, this goes back to, you know, the great article that, you know, Jared wrote about when when to bunker. You can't just bunker from the beginning. Like, to just stray a bunker from the beginning, you are just inviting more shots. And that, you know, kind of is going to bite you at some point. It's not good strategy. It's not, you know, good from what we know about, you know, TSR. It's just not smart. So, I can't... So, even when you say, oh, if it would have worked, I don't really like that talk because... We know that we can actually look at the probabilities of, you know, likelihood of outcomes based on tactics. And this was not a tactic that you would expect to, to produce that result in a way, I mean, in an efficient manner. I, I guess I I didn't really phrase that very well, but I think you guys understand what I mean. Like, it didn't need to be done. I think this is a problem with Klinsman over and over again. He, he seems, when he does make managerial decisions, when he does take action, it generally seems like it's, he does so and it holds the team back. It very rarely does he do something that it looks like it's actually helping the team moving forward. And every time someone wants to complain, oh, it's the player pool, it's the player pool, I think that's kind of like a sh- kind of shifting the arguments like, well, even if the player pool is bad, you know, let's say we're Guam, I would still want my coach to put out the best Guam team he can. And that should be the standard. And I think Klinsman, He's not putting out the best U.S. team, the best player pool, the best uh, formations that everyone is in, positions that they can help each other. He's just not doing that. And I think that's been a refrain for pretty much his entire tenure. And it's kind of, you know, we've we've had so many podcasts saying this, but at this point, he's just got to go.
0: Well, we haven't even gotten to the coaster again, but... One, I have one last thought on the Mexico game, which is, and maybe I'm just piling on at this point, but it looked to me that he didn't even realize how bad things were going, and it was only when the Mexico player, I don't even know who it was, got injured, and Brooks and, or Jones and Bradley went and talked to him, did they make the switch? Like, I don't think it was on, maybe he was going to do it at halftime anyway, but was it Cordado who got
2: hurt?
0: It might have been. Yeah. Think, yeah. Um, God, that but, team is
2: stacked. Yeah. There's no shame alluding to that Mexico team. That it's one of the most stacked Concacaf teams of all time. But they didn't yeah, go out but, of play. Yeah. I mean.
0: But I, you know, we we just like curled up and died for the most part. I mean, exactly. the second half was great. Um, we deserved that second half
2: twice, is what we deserved. I felt robbed of the half.
0: Yeah. Because that was amazing. Does, the second does, half was fun. It does really hurt to get scored on by. Forty-year-old heartthrob Rafa Marquez. Yeah, that was that was lucky. How was like, he still? He was terrible for the Red Bulls five years ago. He was not good. How was like, he cause still? Because he didn't care. Well, because he I didn't guess...
2: really. He didn't really care. I don't think he was utilized properly. And like his whole resurgence has kind of been in a very specialized role with the Mexican team. Like it's a little, Yeah, high I, high. I
0: was talking to a Mexico fan and they were like, Oh yeah, he's way better for the national team than he is for his club teams, which is, I guess, I guess it's the opposite of how the U S national team works, but
2: there was like <laughs> mean, for Barcelona for a while. So I don't know if that's always been true. <laughs> so he was yeah. their captain.
1: No, so, I meant,
0: I meant since he, since he left oh, the yeah, balls, yeah. then he, you know, he's, he hasn't been as good in Mexico for his club teams, but he's still playing all team. A lot.
1: There was a lot of talk about, uh, Brooks on that play and how he how he lost Marquez not a ton of talk about the quality of the header I know you could maybe call it lucky but it was placed pretty perfectly from from his point of view and so nobody talked about kind of the misfortune of that that yeah. it reminded me of the the third goal in the three to two game last year where the kind of the volley goal which was just a phenomenal shot that you just kinda of throw your hands up and say, Oh well, they're they're better than us on that one. <laughs> kind of reminded me of that moment. But I also does did anybody think that Guzan should have made a play on that ball? I feel I watched the goal a couple times and he's frozen, but it feels like he can reach the ball and he could have reacted. I don't no one commented on whether or not Guzan should have done better there. Any thoughts I, on that?
0: I, I think that's a hard one to judge for a goalkeeper because it's coming out of weird angle and um, you know Marquez is like running away Yeah, he's running away from the goal Um, I actually think kind of the under, under mentioned thing there is that Josie is just standing there and like Brooks clearly thought he had handed him off but didn't actually say anything to make sure Josie knew that but even though Josie clearly didn't realize he was supposed to be marking Marquez he's just standing there kind of watching the ball doing nothing and he just watches the play happen around him Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a little blame deserves to go onto him too. I don't know.
2: argue? Jump on something that Jared said because this is you know, between an Analytics Podcast, this is you know, even though we're on, uh well at least Drew and I are on the Fire Cleansman train. This is something that's being overlooked in the Fire Cleansman hysteria. From an Analytics standpoint, just from an XG standpoint, that shot was extremely lucky. This was a game low from expected XG standpoint, goal. You would <laughs> you would expect a tie from this game. Yep. Now uh, a tie yeah, is seven, still seven tie would not have, Right. Now a tie is not a great. I mean, a tie would not have been the end of the world. A result. You know, especially against. Uh, I mean, we still could criticize the first half. Um. I'm. I. Again, this is why I like focusing on play on the field versus results. But I think you know when people say the loss to Mexico, it's like you know it was a really unfair. Like. They really did get lucky to win that game, and I think that does deserve deserve some stressing.
1: Yeah, the U.S. Yeah. had seven shots on target to Mexico's four, so yeah, yeah, it t- was
2: yeah, absolutely,
0: yeah. And all of it, also, Brad, shots of 12 shots.
2: Before we leave the, this game, Bradley, um, on the Mexico goal from the run of play, like well, you know, people were blaming Chandler because I think that's kind of the vogue thing to do, and Chandler had plenty of mistakes, but it's just like. At what point are we at a... I mean, that we're so quick to blame people that... When Bradley was literally... Like, when Bradley was there, made a play on the ball, didn't win the ball, and then the player got through, and then he's not the first person to be blamed, if you literally get to the ball and attempt to make a play on it and it still gets by you, you are the first one to be blamed, you know? And not not Chandler for not getting there in time or whatever. And I just thought that was... It seems... It just seems interesting to me. I think there's the, there's a lot of bias in the way that players are judged on this team. And I think Chandler, uh, for a lot of good reasons, has sort of fallen into this, um, fallen into the, I, I call it, I kind of call it the Geiger pit, which is that at this point, there's no digging out of it. You know, like Mark Geiger could be like the best referee from here on out, and people would hone in on every mistake he makes. And then say, you know, the Geiger show, worst rap ever. And I think, like with Chandler, like e- even if he is a solid player from here on out, no one would notice.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a good point. I think we should maybe in the context with with Costa Rica as well. But I we have to talk about Bradley at a, in a broader scale because I yes. think yeah. we're expecting him to be the leader of this team, and he felt like he was was had disappeared for both games. Uh, not leaving his mark on the game, uh, not obviously doing his job, winning balls in key spots uh, against Mexico, um, just kind of making very few plays, poor free kicks, just not sharp, just not what we would expect. He should his be emerging. Corners right now. are awful, horrible, horrible. We, we should be expecting him to be sort of the emerging star. I know it's hard to do from the six role or, or, or a deeper line position, but, but we, we we should be getting a lot more out of Bradley. Do we want to
2: get into this now? Because I mean, or do you want to table this for after the Costa Rica game? No, let's do it. This 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 can be our segue. Okay. (laughs) Because I think, um, yeah, there is a couple. Because yeah, I've thought about this Bradley thing quite a bit. Because it seems there are a couple hypotheses I've had, and I'm not sure how how um the validity of either. But one of them, I it seems that ever since he left Italy, his technical ability on the ball has gone down. That's his ability to dribble out of pressure, um, and I'm not sure if that's maybe age, maybe it's not training as you know uh, in the train environments in Europe are better. Maybe it's like a bias thing. Maybe I saw just a couple national team games in that period where he was specifically good, and I thought, wow, this is this is him. This represents him as a player. Um, but I think that's definitely an aspect that's sort of missing in his game and. It seems from a passing standpoint, he doesn't seem. I don't know if this has been looked at. His accuracy seems to go down for the U.S. I'm not sure why that is because in Toronto he's fairly accurate. He's I think like the second or third best long ball uh, like player in the league, and like the first is Pirlo. So like he's the second, you know, second. He's first or second like human. Um, in the league to do it, because Pirlo. And it's
0: not really close, right? It's like Pirlo's on another. Pirlo's like planet. a god. It's then like Bra- yeah, yeah, then Bradley. Yeah,
2: Pirlo, yeah. Um, Bradley, and Pirlo attempt the same amount, uh, but Pirlo has so many more successes because he completes like 85% or some uh, godly yeah number like that. But that's because Pirlo's a god. Like, there's no other way to explain Pirlo. He he doesn't run. He you know he sort of jogs around, um, and his team is still amazing. Um. He's and uh. It, he's able to. What he? How old was he when he was in the Champions League final a couple of years ago? Like, there's no other way of explaining Pirlo without, um, you know, just throwing science to the side and realizing that we're dealing with supernatural forces.
0: It's the hair. Um. Jared, do you have oh, anything to add on Bradley? There. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, I think I said what I was, I was trying to say. I mean, I think it's just, I feel like years ago we were seeing somebody emerge and he was making plays and he was making, he was scoring clutch goals and he was making key passes and he just didn't have any of that, even close to that type of touch or uh strength against uh, over this break and i it was it was very disappointing to see because if you look at all the players on that on that on that roster or on the field bradley's the guy you say has to be the star on this team oh and he just i just did, didn't show up
2: i remember the point the other point i was going to make about bradley i i think that we kind of how we view bradley has kind of undergone like a a shift and i think the new narrative around Bradley is, Bradley's a 6, not a 10. And he's always been a And I think, like, that really, the, back in the Bob Bradley era, the big discussion around uh, Michael Bradley was, Michael Bradley's not a 6. Uh, so, you know, like, the discussion would always say, okay, Failhopper is probably our best center mid in attacking sense. Uh, uh, and then we've got guys like Adu, uh, Clark, good defensively. Ideally, you'd like Bradley. Um, if Bradley's great going forward, not as good as Failhopper, but he's better going back. So ideally, you'd like to play Bradley and Failhopper, people would say, but that's a bad tandem. So the question is, so they would always say, is it possible that our best midfielder, our best midfield doesn't have our best midfielder, Michael Bradley? That used to be like a big discussion on big soccer. And, you know, there was lots of debate about that. So at no point was anyone ever under, they were thinking that Bradley was a six. And you know when you look at the 2010 cycle, um, 2014 cycle, he was never really, or at least for the U.S., a six. He was never really a defensive midfielder. He was always seemed to be better when he was untethered, when he could make those runs forward. We like we we all remember his goal against Slovenia when uh, he was able to make that run forward um, and get that his cleat on it. It seems when he's you know playing deeper, and that's definitely what we saw in the last two games. Um, it was Jones when you look at the. Uh, When you look at the defensive actions, uh, Bradley has the bulk of them. Jones has the most, uh, uh, passes going forward. That, you know, we we might be limiting Bradley by sort of this reaction against Klinsman was playing Bradley as a 10, therefore we have to insist that he's a 6. Where I think, like, it's in in between. If we look at, like, historical point, like, historical perspective, I don't think he's either. I think we have to see him as an 8. And he has been a good six for Toronto, and I'll give him that. But I think it's got to be considered that Bradley needs a defensive player next to him, or we need to consider a defensive player in place of Bradley. And that would be a way of enabling a question.
0: And you don't think... I mean, maybe a stupid question, but you don't think that's Jermaine Jones?
2: No. No. I I, I mean, how old is Jermaine Jones at this point? Like, I don't see him making it to the next cycle. Um, Jermaine Jones is not... um, their partnership has been bad from the start. Um, from they, they sort of, they both like to go forward, but they don't pivot well together. Um, they're both, um, neither of them are very disciplined, and um, they both sort of chase um, the ball. Um, they don't really do, like, zonal. Um, usually you don't want two guys chasing the ball, then you get pulled apart. You usually want some guy sitting there zonally who can move, you know, like a Perry Kitchen, who's always great at that. It, they, there just seem to be a bad partnership and pulled apart constantly. Um, and I think that's why Klinsman, and I think Klinsman recognized that, and that's why he, he was putting Beckerman behind them for all those years. Um, I just think at this point it's clear Jones, uh, uh, shouldn't be on the, I mean, team anymore. I mean, I think, I recognize what he's done in the past, but I think going forward it, it just doesn't make sense. And, Bradley, I, I think there should be some debate, and I think you know that will largely revolve around whether or not we can have a viable Klesch and Bradley partnership, or whether that'll be like the Bradley Failhaber partnership in the past, which failed, and also whether Cleshan can maintain his form, because you know Cleshan hasn't always been this good. Um, it's possible that he won't be this good in the past and next year, just like Failhaber had a great year last year, down year or uh, great year 2015. Uh, down 2016, so uh, I think a lot of that is going to be in flux.
0: Well, in, in question's defense, a lot of you know, even when he was in and out of the national team, he was still starting in Champions League games, and the thing was always that he wasn't as good for his for the national team as he was for his club team. Um,
2: well, didn't oh, when he was playing for like yeah, but for Andre, like he was like a deep line, but like, he was never like the
0: yeah, he was wasn't a be, creator.
2: Yeah, he was never the attacking player. He was right. never the guy that you say. Like, if you go back to like that era of all the Yanks abroad and say, there's going to be one of these players abroad is going to come back to MLS and be the first player to break the 20 assist mark since, yeah. you know, first player to legitimately do it because the um, last player to do it, the only player to do it otherwise would fall to And that was back when you could get like six, like two, three passes away and it can be an assist. Um, yeah. Now, granted. Cleshion's 20th assist was bullshit, but um, <laughs> other than that, um, if, if we, yeah, just throwing in that there will be some home scoring from MLS. Extremely, extremely impressive what he did historically. If you look at all the creators this league has ever seen, all the incredible seasons they've had, and then put Sasha Kleshin like up, above those guys, it's truly astounding. He, he was even if you strip him of the one bullshit one, that still puts him even with Skeloto. Who was one of the best playmakers for? Uh, I'm gonna get this wrong. It was either River or Boca? Like one of their best players, like in their history. So like it, this is like it, it's astounding to me that he's not getting um, that Jones was immediately able to take his place, even though he had two or two or three outstanding games with the U.S. team. Uh, there was that game when Key and Polisic combined for like three goals. Uh, like I, I don't know. It, it, it's it's astounding that he was cast aside for so long brought back in, discovered, and then uh, cast aside again, because, oh, Jones is healthy.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's bring this back to the Costa Rica game. Um, and, Jared, so you were talking a little bit about how the defense looked disjointed at the Mexico game. Um, I'm not sure um, John Brooks ever left Columbus. Uh, Do you see more of the same? I mean, obviously it's a different formation, so Buesler moves out wide. Um, Was it more the same with this defensive uh, nightmare against Costa Rica, or was it something different entirely?
1: Yeah, we have to talk about Brooks because I think he had a particularly bad game. I actually thought against Mexico he was extremely solid up to the laps on the Marquez goal, but in this game there seemed to be a number of times where he was mishitting the ball, unable to clear it, uh, poor passes coming out of the back. I, he I mean, just both both like those Campbell same.
0: goals, those Campbell goals were just he just he got wrecked. And Venegas is a bench player for Montreal and was just schooling him left and right.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know what happened to him because I did think I did think he was solid, and he's he's been solid. He's been sort of the, the best center back they've got. Uh, so that was it was very. Very bizarre to see him have such a bad game. And you know, and I think if, if your best center back's having a bad game, the your whole your whole back line's in trouble. You know, Gonzalez looked shaky, probably didn't look like he's been looking at Pachuca. He looked more like he was his shaky self that he's been with the US national team. Um I just think those guys seem rattled from the beginning and uh, there was there's a lot of breakdowns and nervy moments even before the kind of the, the breakthrough goal at the end of the first half.
0: And it felt a little bit like maybe too much, or I don't know if it was too much, was being put on the shoulders of Chandler and Beezer, um, or maybe it was just they didn't really understand when they were supposed to be forward and when they were supposed to be back, um, but it did seem like, especially Chandler, and again, I'm not trying to pile on him specifically, but it did it does always seem like he's the one that's out of sorts, that it was unclear, like, He just didn't know when he should be forward, and then a lot of the times, it seemed like most of Costa Rica's chances, especially in the first half, he was just chasing the ball. You know, it would be a turnover, and he'd be caught forward, and then Gonzalez would have to squeeze over to his side, and that left Brooks one-on-one with Venegas, and that didn't really end well. Thoughts?
2: Well, first of all, I'd like to point out, uh, before getting into, like, the game itself, um, I'd like to point out a couple of things about Costa Rica, because I think people are overlooking quite a bit. One, never won there. So, like, the, the importance of this game is purely based on the Mexico result, which, even as poorly as we played in that first half, was a lucky result for, to get the loss there. So, pinning anything on this game, like the results, Granted, yes, we got blown out, and that's why Klinsman, the Heat is on Klinsman.
0: Yeah, but I mean, like, you're right, but... That, you're not going to go in there and play... like. If we go, go in there and lose 1-0, lose. then it's fine, but this, I mean, the team quit, they looked totally discombobulated, right. nobody knew what was happening, I believe the backline was a joke, right, every player for the, played like crap, like, it's, looking for it's the not the result, yeah.
2: Um, but, because, um, one of my friends on Twitter, um, Costa Rican, uh, tweeted this, and uh, pretty much, like... Their dominance at home is like astounding. Like they've only con like think within the last like 10 qualifiers they've conceded, uh, or oh, they're unbeaten. They're 7-1-0. Um, and, uh, and, or uh, Costa Rica's unbeaten this World Cup qualifying 2018, uh, 7-1-0. Uh, they've only allowed, uh, well, I can't find it. They're, they haven't allowed many goals at all. Um, he also pointed out that, you know, when people are saying we should be beating this Costa Rica team, like when you match up player for player, Many, if not he argues all, but I would say many, or even the majority of the matchups, the Costa Rican players better. They have a better keeper. Uh They have uh, their full strength backline is better. It wasn't better on the night when you act looking. I mean, you me rephrase that. Oh,
0: Kendall. They have Kendall Austin. Waston
2: is not their first choice. It's not a first choice starter for them. Um, but that's why I said on the oh, night. Oh, I see. Uh, okay. So like again, this is a country that's arguably. Has a better for choice eleven than us, um, you know. You know, we're talking like the argue, the arguments are like Ruiz and Polisic, uh, um, and then like um, Campbell and Josie, and then like outside of that, you you have to start like they Campbell got doesn't better. start for them either. Yeah. Well, I think that's out of um, uh, wouldn't that like do the injury or something? I don't know. The the point is that like this is a team that like. We, we're not used to looking at them because we're so used to looking at Mexico. This particular Costa Rica team is not as talented as Mexico, but it's, it's very close. So there's no reason why we should ever expect to go, especially this Costa Rica team of all Costa Rica teams to go in there and do well. That being said, we were, like, we did not go in there and even, uh, the tactics were never, a were never adjusted. And I think the big problem again is that There seems to be no concept that attacking through zone 14 is the most efficient way to score goals. And when you're playing on the road, and you're not going to have that much of the ball, that's super important. I um, Let me see. I looked at this today. uh only had five total passes in zone 14 in uh, the entire game. You know, zero key passes. That's absurd. The the fact the expected that expected
0: goals was 2.2 to 0.4.
2: Yeah, and then again, where were the chances coming from? They were coming from oh, let's boot it to Pulisic and pray that he'll get go one on one. And then you know I like Pulisic, but at the end of the day, his skill set is he's dynamic. He's kind of like Castillo. He's going to go one on one. He's going to stretch the defense, but he's going to get to that wing, maybe beat a defender, get into. As high a leverage crossing position you can get, which is like the edge of the box, but that's still not as high leverage as zone 14. So it's, you're leveraging a strategy that is, is already, you're, you're, um, you're rolling rigged dice at that point. Like, there's no reason why Clutchin shouldn't, uh, Clutchin should, should have started. And then the fact that Clutchin wasn't even subbed, that the attacking sub was Yedlin. And then, then they put in Gooch, which maybe was to cap time, I don't know.
0: I have a game. I have a game that we're gonna play. So the USA took six shots. Three of those were by that's half. Three of those were by one player. You guys know which player that was?
2: Um. No,
0: no, 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 no.
2: Bradley. Bradley on set pieces, maybe. I don't
0: know. No, Bradley had zero shots.
2: Jones, because I know he Jones. took at least one.
0: Jones had one shot. Okay. John Brooks had two shots, presumably oh, okay. off the of corner kicks. Three shots by a Fabian
1: Johnson. Interesting. He's so. he's another one that I gotta tell you, again, disappointing. And again, we, we're we're supposed to expect more from this player. He's we 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 push him up, people are begging for him to get on the wing. He gets on the wing. Um and I just thought, you know, his his uh he had a couple of Free kick chances at the goal that were poor. He any he got the ball in a crucial situation, he either turned it over or made a bad shot. I again, this was another player that we were expecting to step up that did not make a difference in either game. And I think you just got to call it out as you know we're expecting Fabian Johnson at this point to start making a big impact, and he's not.
2: Well, I think that's an unfair expectation, and here's why. And I think it's the same can be said for Polisic. When, when Pulisic gets to that wing position, he has more, op- for Dorman, he's got more options. He's got, you know, like, Margaret Goods are like, you know, coming, you know, coming up on the top of the box. Like, with, um, with Johnson, he's got more talented players around him. He has never asked to be the guy. The only player, even remotely in the pool, he's, he's not even in the pool anymore, that even has a skill set to be a 10 winger, is Donovan. <laughs> and, you know, he's recently unretired, but, like, he's not going to be on the national team. So, like, The post-Donovan national team has made no attempt to reconcile that they're post-Donovan. It's very much of the galaxy. There's, Johnson can't be that guy because he doesn't really have that skill set, and it's unfair to ask him to be. You just need a a central player to move forward and contribute a little bit more, and then you can start linking more. You can get, there's no reason why it should all be on one player. You don't need a 10, necessarily, but you need someone Especially when you have a Pulisic and a Johnson. You need someone who can connect with those two. You know, like, otherwise, it's, you know, going back to, you know, the terminology we used to see from uh, the Bob Bradley era, which we all look back now on with rose-colored glasses for whatever reason. But it's the empty bucket. When we play, you know, Bradley and Clark, and then Donovan and Dempsey, and then, oh, Donovan and Dempsey can't connect. You know, yeah, because Bradley isn't moving forward. You know, like, they're on opposite sides of the field. So... At the end of the day, there needs to be someone there, so it, there can be meaningful movement in the final third. And I don't think, I don't think there's, you know, when Klinsman looked back, takes a step back and looked at the big picture, he sees that. I think he 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 sees a team. Um, I think he has an old-fashioned view. I think he wants players to get down the wing and send in crosses, and that's how we're going to be dangerous. I think that's why he has an obsession with speedy wingers. And you know, I think ultimately that's not the named Nagby Yeah, I think that's the biggest flaw with this team continually. Is even if he's picking the wrong players, he's putting forward a. He's sending this team backwards in the era of soccer that we're playing. And, you know, that combined with everything else, it just makes for regressive soccer. And for all the games we're making in the player pool, we're moving backwards.
0: And he says one thing and then does the other. Um, like, this is a small thing, but like, he subbed on fucking Graham Zucci at the end. Yeah, I, oh, it's God. just like <laughs> yes. Like I like Graham Zucci. He was he Do was you. great. And uh, did you guys see the movie It's a Zoo in Here, starring <laughs> uh, Jimmy Nielsen as well? Um, but uh, yeah, it's just like the. It's one thing when you put your team out on the field and it's un, and they're unprepared. He not only does that, it's incumbent upon Bradley and Jones to point out to him that they need to change the system. He it can't make in-game tactical decisions, and his subs are like-for-like like changes. All three of these subs in the Costa Rica game came, I think, uh, two of them came when we were down 2-0, the last one when we were down 3-0, and it's like they're like-for-like like changes when we need... Something to happen.
2: Yeah, Costa Rica There's,
0: made subs before we did. Yeah, it's just <laughs>
2: it's absurd. It didn't change like we were anything. Down. Yeah, we were down. It's like
0: bashing his head against a brick wall, expecting to get through it, and it's bashing him back. Um, I, it's just so frustrating to watch. It's just like I don't know. I just, I, I'm disappointed. I'm not even mad. I'm just disappointed. Kind of like I am with the American electorate.
2: So, like, what do we think of when we put everything together about the case for Firing Clones? Because I think there are a lot of things that people are kind of – the argument about it is kind of not being put forward in a very in a very good way. And I think, um, like a lot of people say, uh, saying we've never been 0-2 in a – you know, to start the hex, like, well, we've also never played Mexican-Costa Rica first. You know, that's a bad argument. if you, When you uh, point to the results, we've also never won in Costa Rica before. Eventually, we're going to lose to Mexico, and also it was an unlucky loss. That's a bad argument. So, like, yeah. how and, do we? And
0: Jared, Jared wrote the article on this today. Uh, everybody should. It's on uh, Stars and Stripes FC on SP Nation. Uh, so yeah,
2: like and... Jared, you, you you put the toward like how? I mean, what defense is there to lay out for Klinsman?
1: Def- the defense to keep him around. I think. Yeah. I, I think. if he be water boy? <laughs> I, the defense is my defense is the following. Um, it, it mostly t- turns around timing. I know people are thinking, hey, we've got five months before uh, the next um, set of games, well, obviously critical home against Honduras and, and at Panama. Panama, by the way, had two good results. So they look good so far, but the but is it really going to be productive to make an overhaul, which would make player changes, tactical changes, things that you again you don't have that much time. It might be five months in our time, but time on the field, time with the players that are going to play in March, is pretty limited. So it doesn't. I I, I prefer continuity at this point. I, you know we feel still feel pretty good. Klinsman's going to get the team to Russia which is important, and once he gets to the big stage, he's had good results. So the Copa, getting out of the group of death in the World Cup, he's been able to overachieve in those moments. So if the goal, if everybody's mindset right now is achievement in Russia, I think he's the best option. Do I agree with all these issues around tactics and – poor substitutions and poor player selections i do it's hard for me to argue so you admit that he has no idea what
0: he's doing but you still think he's the best option for i don't i
1: i I, I don't i can't you can't say no idea what he's doing i mean he's doing he he can pull strings at the right time you you have to admit sometimes some of his subs have been phenomenal decisions right throughout he's been very hot and cold where he all of a sudden he puts the player in the game and they score and he looks brilliant He's done that multiple times as often as he's putting Graham Zusi for whoa, no whoa, whoa, reason. Wait,
2: wait, How often? Can we say that? Like, how much is that? Because how many of these were friendlies? Because a lot of people, including myself, have called him the the king of six up games. And you know, when teams have already cycled out their their A team, you know, are we put in the player that generally is on the bubble for the wrong is on the bubble and they, they make the difference primarily because they're on the bubble. They really shouldn't be on the bubble. It's Klinsmann. Yeah, because yeah, Jermaine Jones things. is coming yeah. off.
0: So, exactly. So,
1: yeah, it's actually him but putting the to best player in the bubble to is what. <laughs> no, no, no. But you, I, I don't have the stats in front of me or the situations or whether it was e- evenly balanced. But you have to admit there have been times where he's made excellent calls from that point of view. So, so, and, and it could be just like luck balancing out. I'm just saying like he's not. He doesn't have no idea what he's doing. He's got some elements of leadership and motivation uh, that are working for him, obviously, but there are a number of, I think, fatal flaws, if you will, that aren't, aren't going to be resolved, and they're going to ultimately limit him. So I, I'm I'm on board. I just think right now this is not the time to make the change.
2: Can, can I respond to a couple of those points? So, mm-hmm. First of all, I think I agree with you. This is not the time to make the change, but I would say that, uh, that the time to do that was the Gold Cup. And um, that really, sh- ideally, is when we should have done it. But since we didn't, I think that the I don't like the argument of results in tournaments because that's completely from a sample size. That's a crapshoot. And if you look at how we played in those games, a l- you know, a lot of it was undetermined. I would argue, you know, like the way that we went out against Argentina. Although obviously we're not supposed to go on Bar- Argentina he didn't put us in a good position to play Argentina, you know, like uh, the, um, you know, a lot of these games where, where we were, you know, outplayed in those uh, tournaments. I don't think that he has put forward as good as he's been in tournaments. that he's put forward teams that put forward our, you know, our best tournament performances, if that makes sense. Like the product on the field, isn't really matching um, the result. And, because of that, and I think there is predictive power in that, obviously we should have made the change earlier, but for me, I'm perfectly fine. I kind of pride myself in not sort of getting caught up in emotional sweeps The you know, when Twitter wants to crusade against something. But I'm also perfectly fine realizing that when Twitter gets angry about something and, and calls for the firing of someone, that I have already decided I want fired, that I'm perfectly fine getting on board with that if it'll help. <laughs> so yes, it, now it's not the time to do it, but I also think he needs to go. And if this outrage is what's going to do it, because honestly, you can't send a a a bullet point letter to Sunil and and have him go, oh, these are really good points. Look at these stats. Um, I'm going to fire Klinsman. Like it has to be, you know, people saying, hey, Nike, I'm not going to buy. You know, uh, like there've been talks of people boycotting Nike, and so Nike will put pressure on like uh, U.S. No, like, but it's that's this is literally. Like
0: this is literally their... This is, like, Sunil Gawadi. I don't know if he ascribes to the sunken cost fallacy. But, he's, he's
2: an economist, so... <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, that's true. And so he's probably heard of it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but like, what would it take? I mean, this guy has for... What's the biggest win in Klinsman's tenure? Ghana? Right? In the World Cup. It's the biggest win he's had. Unless you want to count some friendly game, but. I, um, getting, going for,
2: uh, far in the Copa, um, but I would argue those were not great. Um, like, you know, sure, we did well against Costa Rica in that tournament. Costa Rica wasn't particularly trying that, um, you know, the, the way in which we were getting those goals. Um, we, we weren't getting the zone 14 production that we needed to, so we were scoring in very, um, you know uh, ways that weren't sustainable so yeah i'm i don't know
0: but yeah so like he his signature win i'm going to call it the Ghana game was roughly 14 18 30 years ago it feels like and he has said one thing from day 1 that he's going to change the style he's clearly done that if anything he's he's done the opposite um he has underperformed every expectation. If his name was, you know, anything else, say Bruce Arena or Bob Bradley, he would have been gone a year ago. Uh, there, he's done nothing to show that he's capable of improving this team in any way. And if if Bruce Arena, who apparently is ready to go, is able to step in and coach this team, I am supremely confident that this team will be leaving the Hacks. In a much better place than if Klinsmann stays on, and honestly, I I think uh, Bruce Arena's way more practical choice for the next World Cup as well because he mm-hmm. um has has had some success at World Cups and um. Had he? Yeah, he's had as much success as Klinsmann has, more more sure, so. Sure,
2: but uh, sorry, I'll, I'll go into the continue, but I'll go into the Bruce Arena myth in a second, but
0: yeah I mean I'm no, I don't love Bruce Arena and obviously this is an analytics podcast and there's no one that's more vehemently against analytics and soccer than Bruce Arena probably but I just I have seen nothing from Klinsman that makes me think he's competent, let alone capable uh, and he's only had six years to do it. I, I just don't know what it would take. Uh, he's done absolutely nothing that he's promised. In fact, he's done the opposite and taken this team backwards. And I just, it just blows my mind that he's he's still there and that people are still defending him. Sorry, Jared.
2: So so to <laughs> go back to the, I think the the argument for Arena for me is, it's actually ironically one of Jared's arguments, continuity. <laughs> the thing with Klinsman is you, you there, there is no continuity from, um, this is a guy who uses... Um, qualifying games to experiment you know like big qualifying games to experiment this is a guy who you know for years it you know go until the cope until copa we weren't sure what our back what our first choice back line was
0: which is ventura you know, alvarado
2: exactly if you want to talk you know like continuity Look, Bruce Arena, and this is actually one of his faults: is how rigid he is. But at least you know you're gonna what? That's what you're gonna get from him. Maybe he'll decide on something that's a little too conservative, and it's not ideal, but it'll be consistent, and it'll be something the players can get behind. And it's something that I know the players can get behind because it's one thing Bruce Arena always does is um, get players behind him. there's a great article, I encourage everyone to read it, by Scott French. What he did was, um it's a very long article, but he got quotes from basically people who have worked with him across the years to just, you know, um, he just interviewed them, had them talk about Bruce Arena, and he gave, uh, there was a lot of hilarious anecdotes about, like, um, um in D.C., uh, how, like, Echeverry lived closest to the practice, but would show up late. Uh, and, you know, people, to, and he kind of sensed that people were getting... You know, kind of upset about that. So his, but he also realized that he's got to manage Etcheverry. So what he would do is he would tease Etcheverry about it, you know, but like gentle ribbing. So that way, the players understood, you know, oh, it wasn't okay. Oh, so
0: just need to use more gentle ribbing. Of course. But, I mean, you see
2: my point. Like, he, this is why Bruce Arena, like, when you talk to players, Bruce Arena has never lost a, a locker room. I'll put it that way. Bruce Arena has never lost a, a locker room. Bruce Arena knows how to manage people. And, you know, I can, I supremely, I, I, at no point will I, will we see a Bruce Arena team, um, give up on a game like we did in the Costa Rica game. They just won't do it. Um, so that's what I like about Bruce Arena going forward. Uh, I Tactically think either way he's... we qualify, because look, Mexico qualified for the World Cup last, um, uh, year with two wins in the hex. So I think no. the bar is real low for, uh, qualifying in, the in this region. But, in terms of getting something out of this cycle, yes, I'm. Clin- uh, I'd much rather go with the Arena long term. No, because I don't think he's going to give you the the ideas that you need. I think um, a lot of the memories we have of him, um, we go, we look through rose colored glasses, and you know, when we look at the 2002 team. That team should have been knocked out of the, gr- um, the group. Yes, they had um, two really good games. In knockouts, but they also had to be qualified by South Korea. Um, then, you Got know.
0: Crushed by Poland. Yeah.
2: Crushed by Poland, exactly. You know, uh, I think we caught, we caught a couple teams napping is what happened. And then, um, the next cycle, uh, he failed to get out of probably, um, the second easiest group we've been in of, you know, the last, like, uh, I don't know, four or five World Cups. And yet, and arguably had the second most talented team. So, like, it, it he is definitely not a guy that I would bank uh, the future on. I think there are guys out there with more progressive ideas. But um, going forward, yeah, and I don't have a problem changing in the middle of the hex to do it. Because ultimately, I just want the right players to be playing. Or the players having the system, knowing the system... And in playing that system and being competent, and having an identity of a team going into the World Cup, so that at least I can sit down, look at my team, know what my team can do, what they're about, and get behind them, and just have you know a normal World Cup experience, you know. And I just don't know what this team is right now. I don't, and I haven't known this entire cycle. I've never been so far removed as a fan of this team as in this last cycle because they. He he just keeps experimenting. He keeps moving stuff around. He, the, there's no identity. Uh, like it just has to happen. So now's not the time, but it needs to happen.
0: Jared, if Oscar Pereja said he would take the job tomorrow, <laughs> would, you, would you go for it?
1: No, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick by with now's not the time. I mean, it, I I agree. I think I think he's he has this idea in his mind that he likes to increase the competition he wants to increase the size of the of the senior pool and he wants there to be intense competition and he wants people to feel on edge and he wants them to be pushing himself this is like his personal philosophy but the end result of that is that you have ish- you have things like alvarado showing up out of nowhere and then disappearing uh you've got uh timmy chandler you know clearly now passing edlin you know because of what he's been doing with his club and you've got these you've got these changes that i think become too chaotic so we see them as experimenting but he's got this system in the background where he's got constant competition going and people are constantly beating each other out unless your name is jermaine jones and then and so we're confused because we see so many players they're passing each other all the time we don't Know who the team is. We can't get around an identity, and so we as a we're, we're getting disconnected as fans. And I think I think it must have some mental impact on the players to not to, to constantly be on edge. So I feel like he's got this this philosophy that's just target. It's off base how he's approaching things, um, and it, it manifests itself in this constant experimenting or appearance of experimenting. Um, and I, I think this is probably causing his demise at this point are causing these the the confusion with the team. So I, I, you know, I I think it's got to end. I'm not, I'm not that crazy, but I just don't think the time is now.
0: Speaking of ending it, you guys have anything, any last thoughts before we, we sign off here, Sean? Um, I
1: have, I have one topic I like, I like to harp on a little bit. When we, we talk about arena and arena had better results, you know, the thing that always comes to mind is the the external, the global world of soccer is evolving. Um, and one thing we don't talk about enough is the pace of improvement with U.S. soccer and development. Is the pool getting bigger? Are the players coming out of the pool at different age groups getting better? Are we improving at the rate that the rest of the world is? We know places like Iceland are rapid rate of rate of improvement and soon many countries are going to follow that model and i and and when we look across eras and talk about arena is 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 it a function of Klinsman not moving the country along fast enough or well enough making enough progress or has the us fallen behind because they're not growing as quickly as the rest of the world from a quality of soccer perspective and so you you can't expect Klinsman to have better results because other teams are advanced more than they were in the arena era for example so i just i throw that question out there and then that starts to point you to sunil jalati more than it points you to Klinsman. but i just don't think that conversation's out there enough that the uh, the global soccer world is also improving and probably improving at a faster pace than we are we think because we have resources and we because we have 330 million people that we're going to catch up we can't assume that
2: I think this may be actually be something that will be a lasting legacy of Clinton. And this is something that, um, Wendy Thomas brought up in the, the podcast that, uh, um, uh, she was on our, the podcast a while ago. Um, she brought up one of the things he did do was, um, now I forget the name of the company, but the company that basically did an audit on Denmark, or, or no, not Denmark, on, um, the Netherlands? No. I'm just gonna mess this up. Um, on, um, Belgium, sorry. To the, that did an audit on Belgium, on like, uh, their, uh, like, uh, their use system. Uh, they kind of organized, um, the grouping of the use, basically cleaned it up, made it more efficient. Clintman did that here. So, you know, and it took, you know, some years to see that out of Belgium. It hasn't been that long yet for us to, whether to see whether we're going to see similar results from, uh, for, from us. So, it could very well be that, we, there's yet to be the, the youth spring that Klinsman brings about and sort of, he was kind of hired sort of with the promise of that could be coming as a result of things done at the lower level, even though, you know, we're not qualifying for the Olympics and stuff like that. That still could be coming. Um, but I would say a lot of people, I think one of the problems is people always say, well, the same people that say that CONCACAF is improving. Will end the same breath say that Concacaf is improving and our player pool um, just isn't good enough. And I think it's like, well, why is Concacaf improving? Because they're playing. Um, there's now MLS and they're getting more and more players playing in MLS, and that's improving Concacaf. Why then? Why isn't the American player improving? So why are you discounting the American players in MLS? So I like it, it seems that it. And I'm not saying that was your argument, but I think that is an aspect of the argument that some people make that doesn't really uh, stand up because I think the lack of belief in the MLS player that Klinsman has shown um, is something that has hurt this team and, you know, to Bruce Arena's credit that's something that he absolutely showed you know, uh, probably because he kind of had to um, because there weren't enough players in Europe and he famously said after we got knocked out of 2006 he told all the players to move to Europe so, uh, you know, uh, maybe that kind of... Uh, discredits all this, but I think ultimately, you know, that is uh, something that we can look at for, you know, Klinsman, as both a failure of Clintman not looking at MLS and you know, but also, you know, maybe we are seeing a, gonna see that revolution down the line.
0: Yeah, I think I think really we just need to have our, our players playing in the top leagues like Venegas and Bolaños and Waston and Moderita. Once we're on the, the same level as them, I think our national team will be doing much better. Um, I think we should leave it there. Uh, I think I'm going to plug in an old clip from last September, which was right after the USA lost to Brazil 4-0, I think it was. Um, I'll plug that in there. Um, well, we're Sean and Jared.
2: We're not going to make predictions on the playoffs, at least. I know, we're not going to touch them, but we don't want to at least make predictions. Do you want to
0: predict some? Go ahead.
2: I think Seattle's gonna unjustly win. What does that mean? Well, I mean, like, the, they basically, um, they injured Diaz, and then, um, they, uh, you know, maybe not directly, but Diaz was injured against them, and then, uh, the SKC game, where SKC, you know, got screwed twice on calls, and there should have been a red card to Alonso. I think everything's lining up for, A very hateable cup, you know what I mean, and I think that fits Seattle's like ethos very perfectly. That this will be like another reason to hate Seattle. Like the league loves hating Seattle, and now they'll have another one. They they finally won their cup, and it's going to be perceived as like underhanded and dirty and tarnished. If it and that's Seattle.
0: If it's Seattle and Toronto, uh, uh, where does that game get played?
2: Toronto. Yeah, that's but uh, you know what.
0: if that game is in Toronto. I, I think Toronto will win.
2: Yeah, Seattle yeah. also
0: has the turf. So if if, if if the final gets played in Seattle, then I think it's over. It's in Toronto.
2: Uh, Seattle can't host.
0: But Montreal can, right? Would play in Seattle, right?
2: Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. True. I, I don't. Are any Montreal
1: predictions? 20. I have. a feeling Sean's going to be right, but I'm going to root for Colorado and Toronto to get there. I don't know. I just kind of find that matchup yeah. appealing. Zach yeah. himself. Oh,
2: yeah. I Colorado's
1: want not to being see. given
2: enough credit for, like, everyone's immediately picked the Sounders, even before you know Gashi was confirmed out. It's just like, Colorado's a really good defensive team, and the Sounders' offense is sputtering a bit. Like If it wasn't clearly the year of the Sounders, I would pick Colorado, but there's voodoo magic here, so I have to pick Sounders.
0: Okay. Um, okay, let's let's quit this thing. Um, for next time, guys, I want you to run faster and try harder and be more angry. I think that's that's the takeaway if we want to improve. Um, Sean, say goodbye. Bye, everyone. Jared, say goodbye. Goodbye. Alright, toodles, folks. We will see you at a later date. I I think I'm still in shock because I haven't seen the USA get outplayed at every facet of the game in a long time. Probably since the Gold Cup final that got Bob Bradley fired. Right. Like, I mean, maybe I'm being hyperbolic, but this feels like the worst loss since, you know, the gold cup final that we lost to Mexico. Do you, can you think of a better one?
1: No, actually that's a good, that's a good question. I haven't, didn't think about that. It was a kind of really depressing to watch. You're, you're just hoping your team can kind of have a few flashes and hang with Brazil for a while, but they, they didn't, they didn't hang at all. And it just was very dreary. Um, but yeah, no, I, that's a great, great thought. I haven't. I think that might have been the worst Klinsmann performance. But the problem is, it didn't mean anything. So, I, so while it was just like all was, his
0: best wins.
1: <laughs> while it, yeah, that's right. While it doesn't, you know, while it was hard to watch and, dis, you know, dispiriting, it, it 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 doesn't really matter. It really is not going to have an impact on on the October tenth game. Yeah,
0: and I, I guess that's the main point, right? Like, we is awful as that game was if they can beat mexico next month then we'll never remember this game ever again right like and honestly if they i would imagine if usa wins against mexico we're stuck with klinsman through the next world cup and we may be regardless but um galati who's already said that he's that klinsman is staying on regardless of what happens in that game I, I still hold out hope that he'll get fired if if they don't. What? I guess you haven't said it yet. Are, what are your thoughts on Klumzman? Do you think he needs to be, needs to go?
1: No, I I don't think he needs to go. I think um, I'm I'm still I may be holding out hope. I know he's got his, you know he he befuddles us with some of his lineup decisions and and the rotating cast of characters and. It feels like things should be a little bit more locked down. Things like coaches in the past have had a little bit more of a, of a settled team. Uh, and we, I think we, we like that. Um, but I, you know, at this point, the the positives, the momentum I think is there overall. And I'm, what momentum? To, I'm well, I mean, I, I, I just look at I'm thinking big picture and I'm not, I'm thinking, I'm thinking still at the world cup. I understand the gold cup was a loss, uh, and disappointing, but I still sort of feel that
0: that World Cup where we won one game against Ghana,
1: <laughs> we got out of the group of death, and we you know took Belgium to uh, to overtime. So I I I, I like I like I hear what you're saying, but I also feel like just this is just me speaking. You ask my opinion, I do feel like things are heading in the right direction, and you're always going to have these kind of peaks and valleys over a, over a long period of time. And so I want to just sort of sit back and if they beat Mexico, I think things are still on the right path.
0: Keep drinking that Kool-Aid, man. <laughs> I don't
1: know. It's not really Kool-Aid. It's more like maybe orange juice or something. <laughs>